Hey y'all, this is Kara, jumping in at the beginning with a quick note about this episode. You may have noticed that it is a smidge longer than my usual episodes. It's split into five parts, each marked by a little musical interlude. So when you hear the music, you'll know that's a good place to pause if you need a break. I've also included a title and timestamps for each section in the show notes for your reference if you want to come back to it later. And because this one is so long, I won't be releasing another episode this month. Expect the next episode to come out on December 6th. Okay, that's it from me. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Backlog Books. In this podcast, I will be recapping and discussing what I've been reading lately. My name is Kara. Thank you for joining me, and please be prepared for spoilers. And today, I have a friend sitting in with me to talk about, I mean, I guess it's his favorite series of all time. I don't want to, like, overstate that, but... It absolutely is. Yeah, okay. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Daniel, and Wheel of Time is absolutely my favorite fantasy series of all time, and probably my favorite work of literature. Yeah, so this time, in celebration of the TV show that's coming out November 2021, we are talking about the first Wheel of Time book, Eye of the World, by Robert Jordan. So the book summary for this, uh, the Wheel of Time turns and ages come and go, leaving memories that become legend, legend that fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth returns again. In the third age, an age of prophecy, the world and the time it's themselves hang in the balance. What was, what will be, and what is, may yet fall under the shadow. When the Two Rivers is attacked by Trollocs, a savage tribe of half-men, half-beasts, five villagers flee into the night, into a world they barely imagined, with new dangers waiting in the shadows and in the light. Ah. <sighs> <clears throat> the Eye of the World was originally published in 1990, so this book is older than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Our author, James Rigney Jr., better known by his pen name Robert Jordan, was born in 1948 and died in 2007. Um, I just like to include some stuff that I found interesting about the author and that's like not commonly known about him. Mm -hmm. um, so he served in the Vietnam War as a helicopter gunner. Apparently, and after Vietnam, he studied physics and worked as a nuclear engineer for the U.S. Navy, which yep. is not at all what I expected to find in his backstory. I was like, you know, Tolkien, professor, spent a lot of time studying literature and history, but Vietnam, nuclear engineer. Yep. His, his efforts in writing and, and his imagination, what he was interested in in, in writing was all just his hobby. Like, yeah. he didn't have any kind of literary background other than his previous works that he'd started on. Mm -hmm. Well, he's definitely best known for the Wheel of Time series. Though he also wrote some Conan the Barbarian books and also wrote, like, a Western and... Historical fiction? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Fallon Blood series. Wow. But he also wrote those under different pseudonyms. Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting that he had like a bunch of different pseudonyms that he wrote under. Yeah. 
pseudonyms are very common for authors, just so they don't get hounded like celebrities tend to eventually. Yeah. Um, another thing I have seen in, like, I've spent a lot of time reading up about authors, obviously. Mm -hmm. But one of the things is that if your books aren't selling well, then you need to rebrand. Like, they'll, yeah. they'll give you a pseudonym to write under, like... There are some authors who almost had to switch to a pseudonym because their previous series wasn't working and, like, a publishing house doesn't want to, like, like, maybe they like your next book, but they don't want to risk putting it out under a name that has already had a few books that didn't do well. Yeah, it's very much based on that name recognition that your your reputation precedes you very much, very yeah. strongly. Yeah. Um, you see this occasionally with, with movies and writers directors and things, actors and actresses, that they have a stage name and their real name is something different mm -hmm. that's kind of to help them separate things out. Yeah. But it's a lot harder to change when you're in that visual uh, of the, the public eye. But yeah. for an author, particularly, like you mentioned, changing to a different publishing house, uh, he did, was not, Robert Jordan was not originally writing for uh, Tor and Daw books uh, early on. The historical fiction that he did was... Not like Harlequin romance level, okay. but it was a very different type of, of genre mm -hmm. than fantasy fiction. Right. Um, so definitely a, a good way to separate things out. He wrote under those under uh, Reagan O'Neill mm. was the, the author name he chose. Oh, the other thing about pseudonyms is now it's very easy to Google and see who a pseudonym actually is. Yes. Whereas in the 90s, that was not, not possible. Not a thing. Nope. <laughs> Okay. Well, I have heard, I think, just about every number between three and, like, 12 for how long the series was supposed to be. Like, yeah. I mean, famously, it's 14 books. Like, 14 obviously, and a prequel. 14 and a prequel. We cannot forget the prequel. Cannot forget the prequel. It's very important. There's actually very relevant explored, like, information that's explored in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, it's only like 300 pages long. Yeah, it's like a quarter like of the length of most books. an afternoon read instead of a two-week-long read. <laughs> so Jordan wrote 11 volumes of Wheel of Time, but he died before he could finish. Mm -hmm. But he had planned out the ending because he'd been sick for a long time. Um, yeah, he was fortunate in that way that he had already developed a very strong process of note-taking and of course this research that he's pulling from was very thorough he knew the ending before he even started he knew mm. what his his ultimate goal was what the last scenes were going to be which is a very great way to start out writing something yeah um, and he had a great editor in, in harriet uh, who became his eventual wife and as with a lot of large um epic fiction writers, he had a writing team that grew and helped mm. with note-taking and keeping track of different things. Yeah. So when he was diagnosed with amyloidosis, doses, um, he knew that it would, was 99% fatal, Oof. not a long-term prognosis, mm -hmm. and he started you know, even further prepping what he knew the ending needed to be. So he knew he'd been working on these books for, for 20 years, and he had a fandom that would be very disappointed if they couldn't know his ending. Um, so he and his wife and his publishing team made an effort to keep things prepared um, in such a way that somebody could pick up the torch, carry yeah. it to the end. Yeah. 
the flame of Tarvalin, if you will. <laughs> yeah, and um, I read that Harriet, his wife, who's also his editor, mm -hmm. she read some of Brandon Sanderson's work, and she was like, this is the guy yeah. that we need. And they asked him, and he agreed and was brought on, and he wrote the final three books of the series, which was supposed to just be one book. And then... Yeah, he was... Brandon Sanderson was handpicked at the time he had published the Mistborn, the Mistborn trilogy. Yeah. And he was working on Way of Kings simultaneously while he was writing The yeah. Last of the, the Wheel of Time. Yeah, and that's, um, that man is crazy. Yeah, I, I like to say that he he made a deal with the devil at a crossroads somewhere to become the world's most prolific author, uh, and he just can't stop writing now because yeah. he's wearing the shoes that make him just write. Yeah, know, the, the classic folk Yeah, tale. I mean he writes what two eight hundred page books a year basically, plus like and three teaches a class, novelas, and, and podcasts, yeah, and, all this stuff. Yeah, and occasionally he finds time to play magic. Sure, um, <laughs> appear at conventions. Yep, like. Yep. Yeah, initially the books Jordan expected, uh, I think the, the initial contract that he's spoken of was supposed to be for a trilogy, and then it was going to be a six-book series uh, of two trilogies, potentially. Um, and by the time I think he got to the fifth or sixth book, he was like, yeah, I'm not making any more promises. <laughs> right. And it was like, that's probably good. Going to be as um, long as it's going to be. Yeah. And I can't express enough how important this style of storytelling is to allow it to grow and take as long as it needs to because mm. it is truly an epic yeah. in in the style of um the the norse uh cycles and sagas um there's tons of literary and, and mythological comparisons but it is it needs time to grow and to in some ways grow very naturally, even as much resources as he was pulling from, his own arc with these particular characters needed that room to grow into their own, their own mythology. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Sanderson was picked, and I don't really recall if there were ever any other choices available, or like, that were on a short list even. Right. Like, Harriet called Brandon Sanderson personally, and it was like, hey, yeah, we'd like you to finish this series because yeah. they already knew that he was a fan. He'd been reading them mm -hmm. since he was young. It was one of the series he cut his teeth on um, to to learn what fantasy fiction was all about. And by the time he was brought on and all the notes that he started going through, it was going to be you know two hundred thousand words of of storytelling minimum. Yeah, <laughs> and so he he and Harriet negotiated and like went through and decided to go ahead and make it a. A trilogy under his writing to wrap up the tale. Yeah. And I can tell you those last three books are a little wonky. Sure. Um, there's definitely some some pacing challenges that Sanderson had to cope with. Um, and his style is not exactly Jordan's style. Mm -hmm. um, I would say uh, when I first read them that I've, I found them fairly similar I didn't. I didn't feel like taken out of the story at all at any point, uh, but there is definitely some awkward pacing that, that fans will notice, and there's a lot of very powerful moments because this is the end. Yeah, you're getting to Tarman Gaiden. I don't know what that means, but you you look really excited about it. Don't explain it to me. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> um, but it's it basically it's just it, you get to the end of this series. You've mm -hmm. been 
with these characters for 20 something years if you started in the, the first one in 1990 mm-hmm. um, or if you've even if you've just gotten it you've still spent months and months reading these these yeah epic tales of these epic characters going through these trials and tribulations and all the powerful moments the key elements that make their arcs relevant all the notes jordan hits magnificently you very mean powerful sanderson? sorry yes sanderson well good that's i know i keep thinking about like game of thrones sorry to bring up game of thrones hmm. um it's relevant but like that idea of it's it's not exactly the same right because it was adapted to tv um versus somebody like coming in and finishing the whole series but it's still this idea of like handing over your creative work to someone else and it's then it's like out of your control and and they get to like steer the way people see how it ends like everybody's perspective on game of thrones is going to be pretty shaped by the tv series yeah even if martin never gets around to like writing another book on it and releasing it like i've heard that he's suffering martin is suffering a little bit of frustration going back like getting back into his own writing because an ending was already shared, and yeah. now he feels like he may need to change some of the things he had planned out. Yeah. And there's tons of fan sites for The Wheel of Time. There's a whole bunch of excitement because the TV show is coming. There is inevitable comparisons to Game of Thrones because Martin was writing at the same time Jordan has been writing. Like, yeah. these series were the big epics, uh, along with a few couple of others. Um, they're really prominent in the, the fantasy fiction world, and... The fact that Game of Thrones was such a monstrous success for six seasons. Yeah. And then took such a sharp nosedive to an unsatisfactory ending. Yeah. Is terrifying to fans of The Wheel of Time. Yeah. The advantage here is that Wheel of Time is done. We have already had the very satisfying joy of reading this very good ending. And now we just get to see what the wheel weaves for the TV show. Mm-hmm. I can say from the, the trailers and um, some of the teasers, the costuming, mm-hmm. special effects that they're showing. I'm very excited for the costumes. Costumes look so look good. So good. <laughs> I am so impressed. Initially, some of the styling was a little awkward, mm-hmm. a little odd, but that always kind of comes. It's, it's what are they... What's the full picture? Yeah. What's the, the whole composition? Not just this one piece. How does it fit with yeah. the whole? Well, it's not just costumes. It's how they act, and it's the music and the lighting and all oh, the yeah. post-production stuff they do. There's so much, like, we just don't know what it's going to be like yet. Not yet. Soon. <laughs> so, obviously, you love Wheel of Time. Um, how did you get into it? Like, what start? Did you just find it on a library bookshelf, and it was... Love at first page, or <laughs> not quite. I I'd been reading many other fantasy works. I definitely grew up reading the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. series and The Hobbit. Um, and I met a, a friend when I was ten who was a much more prolific reader than I am. So similar to you, like shelves and shelves of books everywhere. And I mean, don't sell yourself short. I've seen your bookshelves, <laughs> <laughs> and and those are just the ones I keep. Right, I, exactly. I <laughs> Um, I've moved too much for that. Yeah. So I, I was already well into fantasy fiction. That was, that's the genre I love. Those are the, the epics and the adventures, mythological tales retold and 
fairy tales and things like that. A um, little bit of sci-fi here and there, but I was reading a bunch of the Terry Brooks Shannara oh, books. Oh, yeah. Then um, that's what my, my friend had given me first, and I, I went through those, and then I was looking for something else to read, and we'd go to the bookstore or the library and look around for new new stories and everything, and he had read this first, and I had seen it on the shelf, and I was like, oh, this is kind of a cool, bizarre book cover, you know? <laughs> it's just this amalgamation of several different shelves, like, fantasy lands on one page and gave it a shot. He, he said he enjoyed it. He thought I would. The opening passage, so it has a prologue that goes through uh, Luce there and Telemann mm-hmm. and um, Elon, uh, but, you know, his his initial sacrifice and fallout and everything, but the, the opening paragraph that the ages come and go and this fade to legend was such a beautiful paragraph. Yeah, that that establishes the very essence of what I love so much about this story, mm-hmm. and I think so many others do as well. Yeah, at the time I think there were this would have been like ninety two or ninety three, and the first three books came out almost within one year of each wow. other. Like okay. they were, he was already I guess well ahead, so his publishing schedule could just keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course the pacing slows down, but I was able to to really get into the story by reading the first three or four books before I had to wait for the next one. Yeah. So, I mean, this has been your whole life has been like waiting for this series to complete like the beginning <laughs> yes. of your life. Yes. Oh. Uh, I, and I would reread each. Yeah. Uh, each time a new book would come out, I would reread the books yeah. before it and yeah. get that feeling again. And it's like rewatching a favorite TV show when the new season's about to come out. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that becomes harder. People, you know, have less time as you get older or, families and things like that but I was this was in the prime of my teenage years I had all the time in the world yeah yeah so much reading to do yeah late late nights yeah. classic like flashlight in the in the book <laughs> uh, after I was supposed to be in bed hmm. yeah I read a lot as a teenager I miss it like I definitely yeah. do not read near as much as I used to well it's funny sometimes I'll sit down to like read a book for five hours or whatever and I can't sit and just read for that long anymore I have to like get up and move it feels around. unnatural it feels unnatural like my back starts to hurt <laughs> and I have to move <laughs> right like have, uh, rereading the the eye of the world uh for this podcast I was definitely regretting that I don't have a really good reading chair anymore yeah. I'm like this is a problem I need to fix this my couch yeah. is not proper it's weird yeah. shaped I don't like reading like, I'll read before bed, but it's not where I want to read for, like, hours and hours and hours. Mm-hmm. You just need a really good reading chair. Yeah. Very important. It is. I've got one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess let's talk about the book. Yeah. <laughs> so it would be literally impossible to tell you everything that happens in this book because there's so much information and so much of it is foreshadowing and set up for future events and like I noticed that I've read I've only read I've read Eye of the World twice and I read like half of the Great Hunt Great Hunt but I know because I've talked to you I've talked to other people about Wheel of Time and just seen information about it 
um, just out in the world and the internet mm-hmm. that like I know some of the stuff that happens already. So I was able when I was reading Eye of the World to be like, oh, that's going to be important later or yeah, that'll come back. Okay. And it was interesting. I There were some things that I underlined. I didn't underline in your book. I'm, oh, you that's fine. I didn't. I didn't. That's what I'm saying. Okay. I'm just <laughs> saying like I took pictures and like made a point of it. Um, about, the one like, advantage of of the digital revolution and ebooks. Oh is yeah, highlighting you can annotate <laughs> all kinds of stuff in there. So handy. That is great. Um, but lines that I was like, "Wow, that is incomprehensible at the moment," but I'm sure it comes back later. <laughs> Rereading it for me because it's been I have not reread the series since A Memory of Light came out. Mm-hmm. I read that, and I didn't even reread the series when that book came out. So it was a, a standalone experience just based on on the memory of everything that I've read, which is fun because it's a memory of light. And it's super satisfying to read the end, but it's also heartbreaking. Yeah. You've certainly read many, many books from different series, if not as quite as epic as this, but but a a world where the author pulls you in and gives you this joy of experience. Mm-hmm. And then when it's over, it's like losing a friend <clears throat> practically. It's yeah. like the end of a, a relationship, a loss of a loved one of some sort. And I haven't reread it since. And rereading it this time was definitely, uh, I've had like almost 10 years or so. Yeah, I've, it came I've out read in 2013. More, and I've <clears throat> seen and watched a lot more TV and, and movies yeah. that have a lot of fiction stories that I love. And, you know, it's like being just a matured reader. And I'm more attentive to certain elements of the story than I was this first several times that I read it. And so for me, all the foreshadowing was just like highlighted yeah. in big, yeah. bold letters. Yeah. Um, there's the first encounter where Rand meets Moraine. Mm-hmm. And she gives each of the boys a token, yeah. coin of Tarvalin. And Perrin and Matt are like bowing and thanking her. Mm-hmm. And Rand does not. Yeah. That was so striking to me that yeah. Jordan knows these characters and where they're going and what they're going to mean symbolically for the rest of the world and what their behavior and interactions with each individual character mean so much. Yeah. That Rand not bowing to Moraine Sedai is going to be important later. Mm-hmm. In, in numerous cases. Yeah. And it was just one of the things that struck out. There's another element when they're running to uh, Shadar Logoth and they're running from the Trollocs and they're fighting on horseback and they're getting swarmed. And there's a small line that talks about Matt pulling a noose off of his neck. It's one sentence. Yeah. But that is foreshadowing <laughs> significant character growth for Matt down the way. Yeah. And it's just clever. It's fun to go back and experience that again and see just how Jordan planned for all of this crazy stuff for thousands of pages. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's just impressive. Like, even if you don't like the writing or you don't, you're like not into the story or you just have to appreciate that, like, this was a person who knew the story he wanted to tell and he knew it very well he knew the characters he knew the world and he wrote it and it's like very obvious Mm -hmm. that he like inhabits that space i am so envious of that 
It right? Is, How do people do like, that? <laughs> I try to write and I'm like, eh, yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. All the note taking, all the Ugh, research, yeah. all the connections, the yeah. threads that tie things together. Yeah. Well, and it's like, yes, he had a team for later books. Yeah. But he didn't for the first few. Mm -hmm. It was just him. So we've touched on this a bit. Wheel of Time is built on legends and stories. So the central, I don't know, there, there's this like conflict between the creator and then evil. So mm -hmm. light and dark, which is like a very basic fantasy theme and also brings in a lot of Christianity vibes to me, especially because they call the dark one like Shaitan mm -hmm. um, and like the they have the creator. But this world is really like the world itself is more built on the idea of reincarnation mm -hmm. and and balance, especially they bring up balance yeah. a lot. So this is a, a series that get more out of it, the broader your familiarity with world mythos is. Mm -hmm. um, and, and not even just world mythos like mythologies, but the, the underlying concepts of different religions, the underlying concepts of the cycles that we see like in the Arthurian legends mm -hmm. and the same cycles you'd see in North, Norse mythology. And that's what Jordan is, is tying in is that there's humanity is is bound by some of these concepts and tied together because they keep popping up yeah. in different cultures that are completely unrelated separated by oceans and thousands of years yeah but these same kind of cycles exist in south american uh, and mesoamerican cultures they exist to some extent in african cultures jordan doesn't particularly pull in a lot of those in mm -hmm. this particular epic but things like the great flood or the concepts of sun gods. Yeah. Almost every pantheon and even monotheistic religions, the, the primary god or the monogod is a sun god. He's a god of life and the mm -hmm. sun because that's what we as humans know is yeah. the source of everything. And so when one of the things I was going to pick your brain about is what you're familiar with, what your background is, and what elements you see or, or found or connected with in this story, just with this first book. Yeah, um, specifically story elements or mythos elements, I guess. I would say I was surprised to see the green man. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't even know. I haven't read the rest of the series. I don't know what else yeah. he pulls out, anything. It's like, but this, in, it's not just light and dark. There's also nature as a force mm -hmm. i guess specifically for me i noticed most the because of my background i noticed most like the christianity mm -hmm. aspects of it um and from my own reading like the green man and the idea that nature is a force um i thought it was interesting that baal zaman or shaitan or whatever you call him was like the lord of the dead mm -hmm. Um, and like ruled over the dead. I thought that was a very weird aspect of it. I guess to me, death has always been like Terry Pratchett's death or, <laughs> or, or the death of so many other stories or like the Sandman death yeah. where it's like an impersonal, like, I'm just here to take you on to what, whatever comes next, mm -hmm. like, and not like a force working against 
nature or life, but a force that's part of the cycle of life right. is death. Um, and so to see that be like, oh, the Lord of death is also the Lord of evil was, uh, I guess, a surprise to me. The bringing up Pratchett and, and Sandman in particular are, are amusing because they're, from my experience, coming from, a, from the heavier fantasy epics, whatever force controlled death was definitely associated with evil. That's, I think, mm -hmm. a, a common experience through a lot of, of cultures where the, the cycle of life and death may be considered natural, but the boundary and where folks go when they go to the right. realm of death is often associated with evil spirits. Right. Um, you've got Tartarus sure. from and um, well, the, the Hades has like yeah, the other. Hades. Yeah, I was um, like whatever his other realm is. Yeah, I can't remember it right off the top of my head. Well, there's like there's the purgatory, like there's the Tartarus, there's the good life, and then there's the purgatory. Right? Yeah, like, that's the kind. So of... So there's like layers potentially right. to like what we consider happens after death mm -hmm. and the personifications of death from pratchett is almost lovingly there yeah like he's funny and he's yeah. just like eh, <laughs> sorry yeah. bud <laughs> and then you've got sanderson's or sorry not sanderson sandman mm -hmm. uh and gaiman's death who is caring mm -hmm. and loving in her tasks most of the time and but it's inevitable yeah. And there's a weight to her presence yeah. in those stories. So you immediately saw, you know, clear uh, allusions to Christian myth mythology. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you certainly the Arthurian tales, uh, Arthur Hawkwing is mentioned. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and the Green Man, another mm -hmm. Arthurian relevance. You mentioned the, the ideas of balance yes. that were in there. So that's pulling from... Hindu mm -hmm. uh, culture. And if you haven't delved into a lot of that, it's like there's a lot of binary exploration in the characters in the Wheel of Time. There's a lot of binary exploration in Hinduism where the, it's yeah. not necessarily about defeating evil and getting rid of it. It's about maintaining a balance. Yeah. You can't have the good and the light of the world without the bad and the darkness as a right. contrast. Yeah. So that's where some of that comes from. Yeah. And I, and I definitely noticed that balance being very important. And that's part of why in this particular book, like their world is out of balance because of what happened in the past. Mm -hmm. And so part of their balance is magic. And it's magic apparently uh, turns the wheel of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Found that out. Yeah. The uh, one power. The, the one power. Source. The true source. So, Make, makes the wheel go. <laughs> so all magic users or channelers, they're called channelers, and I guess our Aes Sedai, if they're trained and Tarvalin, they're called Aes Sedai, or you're just an Aes Sedai if you're a cha channeler. Aes Sedai are a particular order. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, they're the only ones, mostly, because they mess up people who channel who aren't Aes Sedai. <laughs> they kind of do. And it's it's funny that you, you question uh, if other channelers are Aes Sedai, because... That's something that I noticed rereading this book is that it's a bit of a fake out. Yeah. The Eye of the World is the name of the book, and that's where they need to go. And that's the problem yeah. of this, this particular book, the story that starts. And you meet Moraine Sedai. Mm -hmm. And do you remember any other Aes Sedai that you meet? Elida. Elida. You get to learn more about her later. 
I'm I assume that I get to learn more about every single character in this first book. Like the farmer who like exposition dumps, <laughs> I assume he's coming back. Like yes. That guy's got to be important later. <laughs> I, I love that you, you've you already <laughs> grabbed onto that because that is exactly how these books will go. Yeah. Um, every name, every reference is cleverly pulled from some real world mythology or yeah. culture or history. I had to have some people explain... Um, Len flying to the stars in like an eagle made of fire. Mm -hmm. I was like, listen, y'all, if there's space travel in Wheel of Time, I need you to tell me. <laughs> so I can I pick up some clues. That sounds like across that. <laughs> and that was really fun. There's there's several other little illusions that mm -hmm. he'll make because this is ostensibly happening on Earth. Yeah. This, this is, is just another turning, another age where all of those old memories of traveling to space and landing on the moon are forgotten. Yeah. All the records are destroyed. All the evidence that they ever existed was destroyed in the upheaval and the breaking of the world. Um, but to, I asked about the Aes Sedai because the, he talks about them. They clearly have a heavy presence yes. in the world and a very, very important because of their existence before the breaking and yep. what's happened after. But we don't get there yet. Yeah, we don't we don't get to Tarvalin yet. It's we spend like, four hundred pages traveling on the road between two rivers and Camelin. Yeah, we sure do. <laughs> and then we skip Tarvalin. We sure do. <laughs> Psych. <laughs> Let's have an overnight trip through the ways, and then three days in the blight, and then story's over, guys. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was something that I figured you would bring up, but I I like was kicking myself and laughing because I was just like. I understand why some folks don't necessarily like Jordan's writing because he took his time and then felt almost like he rushed the ending yeah, so that he could close this particular arc and get on with the rest of the story mm -hmm. in The Great Hunt. Yeah. But the Aes Sedai are just a, a particular order of channelers. You will meet several other different types of channelers yeah. throughout the series. Okay. So, in this book... Just um, this one. Just this one. I'm also kind of explaining like the world itself yeah. in general. So we've talked about the true source, which is magic, and how we've talked a lot about balance. And part of balance is having two things, you know, on either end of like the balancing stick, whatever you call that. A balance? A scale? A scale? A scale! That's the word I was after. So men who channel use one part of the true source, which is called Sidene, mm -hmm. and women use Sidar. Mm -hmm. And something happened a long time ago that they call the breaking of the world. Um, and the prologue talks about this, like the effects of the breaking of the world. And it's, hmm. So I reread the prologue, and now I'm not sure what happened with Luz Theron and the Hundred Companions. Okay. Because I thought what they did was they went and they locked evil up. But maybe what they did is they went and they tried to kill evil. A little bit of both. Okay. This is this is definitely elaborated on more. Yes, yeah, I mean, absolutely on. everything is. The, the initial concept that, that I think is tried to set up and, and uh, Moraine Sadai talks about a little bit, you get bits and pieces of it, is the the previous age 
who he was ostensibly the second age, uh, age of legends, humanity had become so capable. Yeah. Um, well, they and, talk about all the great works were done in the age of legends yeah. and were done by men and women, Aes yeah. Sedai, working together. Yes. So imagine, you know, all the different legends and mythos that you can think of uh, that you've read about in different books or, or real world mythologies. Um, this was, you know, Atlantis. Right. All, all the things were wonderful. All the explorations and knowledge was happening. It was very beautiful, very safe. There were no more wars. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody was working uh, like the Federation in Star Trek. Right. It's all about discovery and, and unity. Except that they accidentally bored into Shale Ghoul. So, like the dwarves in Moria, they delved too greedily and too deep, and they woke up the Balrog. Exactly. Slash evil. Okay, great. <laughs> so what the Luce Theron and the Hundred Companions did was went to close okay. the boar. They went to seal it up. Okay, because Rand and Matt and Perrin, they're like, we know the stories, and the stories are that the creator locked away the Dark One and his Forsaken yep. in Shale Ghoul. And then it's like, okay, but what was Luz Theron doing? <laughs> Trying to close that up. Thank you. Um, that was... I mean, it's it's obviously, like, set up for later. And I could have waited and read the rest of the books and found this out is, on my own. But this is much easier. too spoilery. <laughs> like, this is okay. just very surface level of the... the conceptualization of yeah. why there's these challenges and why men can't channel anymore. Right. Because when they did that, before they closed it up properly, the Dark One struck out, did a counterattack, and corrupted Sidene, the male half of magic. So anybody who uses that, any man who channels, now risks becoming evil or becoming under coming under the Dark One's influence and, like, wrecking the world, which is what happens. That's the breaking of the world is when all the male channelers go crazy yep. and, like, start using their magic to blow up everything. Yeah. So the you can think of it as, as kind of like a curse. Yeah. So part of the, the issue with the breaking and Luz Theron in particular uh, is that when he and his hundred companions went, there were no women with them. Mm, amateur move. <laughs> Uh-huh. So now we have 3,000 years of men attempting that anyone, any man that can channel, maybe becomes a wilder and, and just starts popping off. Mm -hmm. When he reaches out to Sadin, there's a taint. There's a, an icker of the Dark One on it. And like you mentioned, two things can happen. He can potentially either be corrupted by the shadow mm -hmm. or he's going to go mad. Yeah. And the initial backlash from those hundred companions and then the spiral out to all the other male channelers because mm -hmm. it didn't just stop. It tainted, right. it tainted the, source. the yeah. source. So all the male channelers started wreaking havoc and that's literally the breaking of the world. Like it was a physical aspect yeah. that happened for probably hundreds of years that they right. had to deal with this. They talk about like mountain ranges changing yeah. and like their whole landscape is changing. Oceans rearranged and yeah. people separated. And this is kind of a similar thing you see in other creation myths and, and mm -hmm. historical cultures is there's a time of, of tribulation. Right. 
where people With are like separated and the lost. The flood or the Tower of Babel or yep. something that like changes. So all the, the legends that Rand is familiar with and Perrin and Matt talk about the Moraine shares are just the things that have happened since the breaking. Mm -hmm. And nobody knows for sure exactly what happened during the breaking. They just know it was terrible. And right. men, I mean, men it, were the problem. It was 3,000 years ago and men were the problem. Men were the problem. Yeah. Men are still the problem, which goes into one of the other channelers that gets talked about that isn't an Aes Sedai, is Loghain. Mm -hmm. And there's a war coming, yeah. potentially could impact the two rivers. Yeah. And Sin Bui is all terrified of it. Yeah. Got to tell right. everybody. Grumble, grumble. Well, yeah. So, Luz Theron, very famous. Goes mad, destroys his home and his family, is confronted by a servant of the evil one, and then he goes and Luz Theron teleports away and he, like, uses the last of his magic and his life to create a mountain. Mm -hmm. Call that dragon mount? Yep. It's one of those things that will come up later, I'm sure. Absolutely. That's like the only mention of dragon mount, and it's like, gotta have this prologue. Do you remember 3,000 years later? It's right by Tar Valley. It is, yes. Yeah, absolutely. In the shadow of the Dragon Mount. Yes. Is Tar Valley. What beautiful allegory, I just gotta say. It's it's right there. I'll take your word for it. I've only read one book. <laughs> So 3,000 years after the breaking of the world, stuff starts to happen finally. I mean, stuff has been happening this whole time. But that's when our story really starts is 3,000 years this after story. the breaking of the world. This story. I'm sorry. As, this, is, this is a beginning. As the book says, the wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Lovely. Yeah. So in Iman's field, Trollocs come and attack, but before the Trollocs attack, a stranger arrives in town, and it's Moraine. And Lon. And Lon. Strangers. Strangers, I'm sorry. And the Gleeman and the Peddler and okay, all that stuff. <laughs> so Moraine is an Aes Sedai, and Lon, he's her warder, which is like an empathically bonded bodyguard, mm -hmm. yep. I guess. Um, and magically enhanced. Magically enhanced. Very stoic. Oh, so stoic. So stoic. So stoic. He has Stoicist. he has planes <laughs> for facial features, sharp like sharp edges and planes of rock, lots of cheekbones, and yeah. very unexpressive eyes. <laughs> um. So and they're there when the Trollocs attack, and after the Trollocs attack, Moraine is like, "Okay, these three young people, I'm stealing them for their own good." <laughs> Round them up, kids. We're going. Yep. Um, and then Egwene invites herself along, and Nynaeve follows them Ugh. because just like a little sister. <laughs> right? I want to go too. <laughs> I mean, she shows up, bags packed. She's like, "You ain't leaving without me." Yep. And Moraine's like, "It's part of the pattern now," which was a really funny like three pages of the book because people keep showing up and saying, "Hey, I'm going to come with you." Yeah. And Moraine's like, "Guess they're coming with us." And Lana's like. Please stop. Stop inviting people on this adventure. <laughs> That's exactly how it goes. Right. Pretty much for the rest of the series, too. Yeah. Like Lon's just like, uh. <laughs> but Moraine takes them because she can tell that the shadow, the dark one of Shell Ghoul, wants them. Um, for some reason. She doesn't know why. She just mm -hmm. knows they're important. 
and she plans to take them to safety in Tarvalin. So our Amon's fielders, so you can get like an idea of our cast, are Egwene, the mayor's daughter, Matt, who is the troublemaker, Heron, who is the blacksmith's apprentice, and Rand Al Thor, scruffy nerf herder. <laughs> and Nynaeve is the one who invites herself along on this adventure because she follows them, planning to bring them back home. Um, and she is the town's wise woman, mm-hmm. also known as the Wisdom. And for this book, Rand is our main point of view character for like 90% of it. Mm-hmm. He's also our mysterious origins character. Yep. <laughs> there are, I will say, a lot of them have mysterious origins, but I guess it's just that they aren't explained yet. Like, Rand is the one who like doesn't know where he comes from. He doesn't know who he, he doesn't is. know who he, he finds he finds out that he doesn't know who yes. he is. Yeah. <laughs> so when the town is attacked, Rand's father is wounded. And Rand has to take him to safety, but on the way, his father is wounded, so he's fevered and rambling, and he talks about a great disaster and how he found a baby among the carnage of a battle and brought that baby home. Battle baby. Battle baby. And Rand's like, (laughs) that's not me, right? That's just like a dream my dad's having. You're my real dad. Right? (laughs) Um, And that's Rand's crisis through this whole book, is he's like, but who's my real dad? The man who raised you, Rand. Don't worry about it. Um, But even Rand's dad has this mysterious backstory. And he's like, he doesn't talk about it. But he's like, yeah, I just happen to have this sword. This fancy heron mark sword. This like battle or whatever. I don't really like to talk about it. And I'm like, Tam, (laughs) we just tell your son something, please. (laughs) All of this could have been avoided if you told your son he was adopted. Maybe not all of it could have been. Cam just wanted to live out a simple life as a farmer with his son. Yeah. Well, Tam, look where that got us. (laughs) (laughs) This only happens when Aes Sedai show up. It's her fault. I mean, she didn't bring the Trollocs. (laughs) Trollocs, Trollocs. That's just another theme throughout the stories. It's going to be the Aes Sedai's fault. Yes, that is very much a theme in these books. And I was. I was sort of confused by like how much people don't trust the Aes Sedai mm-hmm. as a whole. And maybe that's just I'm like, oh no, they're helping because they like stop male channelers from going crazy and blowing up sure. the world or it's whatever. certainly important. Um and like everybody knows that because when they talk about false dragons, who are people who show up and they're like, hey, I'm loose there and reborn, check this. Yeah. Um Everybody knows it's only the Aes Sedai who can stop them. Right. And if a false dragon is let loose and unabated, then wars happen and terrible things happen. So, like, people acknowledge the Aes Sedai are important, but people also don't trust them. I I feel like Nynaeve even calls her a servant of the Dark One at some point. Like, mm-hmm. and I thought that was odd. I felt like that wasn't very well explained in this first book, like why nobody trusts them. I don't know if it's just like, this is going to be a theme or... For me, I really, I liked that particular kind of mystery to this setting. It made, I I don't like everything explained to me right up front, right? It's been 800 pages. Why don't they trust the Aes Sedai? (laughs) Think think of all the different stories or mythologies where magic can't be trusted. Or the people that wield magic can't be trusted because they're the ones that have power. Sure. Okay. That's the simplest way to view why 
right. at large, particularly in, in the two rivers, they're not exposed to Aes Sedai very often. Right. They're pretty secluded. Yeah. And so it's kind of the superstition. Yeah. Magic yeah. of any sort is bad. Right. And I guess, like, if you have a very prominent magical society, that the main thing you know that it does is it goes out and it kills or captures people who do magic who aren't part of their society. Yeah. Okay. Some of the other other elements, like as as Moraine Sedai takes them through Barillon and through Camelon, you meet Mm -hmm. different people who have different reactions to her when they find out that she's an Aes Sedai. And that starts to reveal some of the different complexities of their role in society. And you really see that in Camelon especially. Yeah. Meet Elida Sedai, and Mm -hmm. she's a royal advisor. She's a vizier. Yeah. Um, But, But not even that. It's like the populace like is split down not necessarily down the middle but like there are the people who support the queen and her Aes Sedai yeah. and like connecting with the Aes Sedai and then there are the people who blame the Aes Sedai for everything going wrong and think the queen should kick all the Aes Sedai yeah. out. That's probably one of the the best early acknowledgments of that that balance yeah. in, or imbalance at the point mm-hmm. is how society views you meet the white cloaks. Mm. Want to talk about the white cloaks? No. <laughs> of course not. I don't like the white cloaks. They suck. Oh, that sucks so hard uh, <laughs> for the next 14 books. Uh, the white cloaks are like that, just like the perfect encapsulation of like, it, I call them the Spanish Inquisition mm-hmm. of oh, yeah. the Wheel of Time world because their whole thing is anybody who disagrees with them follows the dark, Right. So if you're not agreeing with them and doing everything they say, you must be a dark friend. Yep. But, oh, if they capture you and you, like, say you agree with them, they're like, I bet you don't really agree with us. It's time for the thumbscrews. Yeah, yeah. We and can't trust that. you until we've tortured the truth out of you. Right, exactly. Because torture is notoriously reliable at getting the truth out of people. Oh, yeah. Everybody knows that. The White Cloaks have been really good at it for thousands of years. <laughs> I hate them so much. Every time they show up on page, I'm so mad. It's just, it's, and I, part of this is well done, Jordan. You wrote this very well. Oh, yeah. But it's that very frustrating. I find that very frustrating. You get, again, if you read further in, you're going to get more awareness of, of the White Cloak's role in the modern societies. And they will play a, a, a role later down the line. Of course they will. Why wouldn't they? Every move. Exposition farmer is going to come back. Why shouldn't the white clothes? (laughs) So the main problem we're solving in Eye of the World is that spring has been unnaturally delayed, Mm -hmm. which like is a sign basically that the Dark One's influence is spreading, that he's able to like mess up the natural cycle of the seasons. Yep. Now they don't know that's what they're doing. Moraine is just determined to get them out of Amon's field into Tarvalin. Um, and she doesn't know why the Dark One wants them. She just knows that he does, and therefore she's going to try to thwart him. She's on a mission. She's on a mission. And I really like Moraine. She gets to be like the wise teacher who disrupts the young lives and shows them the wide world. She's the best. Yeah, and she's also the one who looks at the big picture and makes the difficult choice of what battles to fight and who to save and you see like her and Nynaeve okay Nynaeve argues with Moraine Moraine is like oh yeah this is fine I'm just ignoring you Nynaeve argues with her a lot because Nynaeve has never had to make those kinds of big decisions and she just sees 
the power Moraine has and wants her to help everybody. But Moraine's like, I have a limited amount of power. I have to choose who to help because if I help like prevent that inn from burning down, we're going to get captured by Trollocs in 10 minutes. Yeah. Like, that's the choice that I have to make. Moraine has a lot of different archetypes and influences from, from different stories, and they are, they are well explored. Mm-hmm. And the, the biggest thing about her that kind of shines through this first story is, is, as you said, she's looking at the big picture. Yeah. She didn't just come to the two rivers of a sudden. Right. She's been doing this ostensibly for years. Yeah. Trying to find... This is the prequel, is Moraine's story before she gets to the two rivers. And it is perfect. It's wonderful. Um, You get to find out how she and Lan met and... I've heard he dumps her in a fountain. Yeah. 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 And she tries to stab somebody. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I've heard about it. Oh, it's great. (laughs) Okay. Perfect. (laughs) But Moraine Sedai is... So she... You get a little bit of the uh, of the Ajas. So yes. within the Aes Sedai, they, they mention the Ajas. There mm. are groups yeah. with different missions, kind of different mission statements, different goals, and they're organized into seven different Ajas. Moraine is of the blue, mm-hmm. and the blue Aja are dedicated to bigger things. Mm. That is literally their their mission is to look at the bigger picture, to take on the tasks that are the most important. Yeah. And to to chase those, to do to be the dedicated followers to to solve those bigger problems. Yeah. Um and I love Moraine because every step of the way, she shows a little bit of grace and a little bit of patience mm-hmm. with these you know, naive yokels, yokels exactly. <laughs> a very classic storytelling yeah. uh, trope for fantasy fiction. And, and there's always some kind of wise mentor, your Gandalf, mm-hmm. uh, your Merlin. Mm-hmm. And you get Moraine. And for me, even right off, right out of the gate, like it shows by her, her choice of words that Jordan writes and the exchanges she has with particular characters, even Lon. Mm-hmm. How dedicated she is, do or die. Yeah. She even tells the boys oh, yeah. at one point, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why the Dark One wants you, but I know he does. Yeah. And I, no matter what anybody else does, will never let that happen. Yeah. And I believe her. Oh, yeah. She's like, I'll kill you. Yeah. Before I let yeah. you fall into his hands. And I'm like, everybody believes that. Yeah. Moraine's ready to shank somebody. Yeah. And you brought up Neneve yes. and her struggle. She's been the wisdom for a little bit mm-hmm. of her, of, of Edmondsfield, and she's the youngest wisdom they've had. Yeah. So she's had to deal with this community that has challenged her by potentially treating her yeah. as a child. That was one thing that got under her, bur- like a bird oh, yeah. in her skirt right off the bat, as Moraine right. calls her child before right. realizing she's wisdom. Yeah. Because I'm sure if Maureen had known, she would have respected that. Well, she, like, as soon as she realizes it, she refers to her respectfully by her title. And, like, exactly. She refers to her by her title basically through the rest of the book. Yeah. She definitely calls her um, wisdom several times. But Neneve has been helping. She's been a caretaker. Yeah. She's been the mother of her community. Yeah. And now part of her flock are being absconded with. Yeah. By yeah. this magic woman. Yeah. 
She knows nothing about what her motives are. Yeah. Nanave doesn't. And so that's, I love the conflict that's set up there. And you begin, at least I began to really feel like why their motives conflict mm-hmm. like that so, so directly and so yeah. clearly in the first arc of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Very much their goals are different because Moraine thinks they're safest with her and in Tarvalin and Nynaeve's like, no, they're my children. They're safest at home with me. Yeah. Um, and I really liked Nynaeve. And, and I think a lot of that was realizing that she's young and in a position of power. And you can tell that she has had to fight for every scrap of respect that she gets from yeah. the town. And like, it's, it's in the way she immediately lashes out when anybody like says something that could be interpreted as condescending. Yeah. It's like when Lon is surprised that she tracked them through the forest and she's like, why? Cause I'm a woman. And he's like, no, cause I'm really good at hiding my tracks. <laughs> this has <laughs> this, been my life. <laughs> this is literally what I have trained my entire life for. <laughs> you should not have been able to follow me. I'm also magically enchanted. What the- how woman, how? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but just to see her so ready to like, jump down someone's throat and it's like that's one way of handling like you're handed a ton of responsibility very early and you have to make people respect you and listen to you especially in a small town where you're like telling them when the crops need to be planted Mm -hmm. or you're like helping heal people you need to not be second guessed all the time you're dealing with sin and the congers and conleys and people that are going to doubt you every step of the way or try to undercut you She's got a well-earned chip on her shoulder. Yeah, very much so. And there, we called out the, the the story, essentially your point of view character is Rand. You, mm-hmm. you have several, several chapters of Rand. 90% of the book is, is his perspective. But I, re- another thing that I noticed rereading this again, is that the first non-Rand point of view character you get is Nanive. It's not. It's Perrin. Are you sh- No. Oh, you sure? I really thought I put that down correctly. Okay, so I'm pretty sure. No, you might be right. I so think it's we, when they split up in the city. We get um, Perrin first. But it's Perrin first. It's like in the middle of the it chapter. And then back to Nynaeve. And then it's Nynaeve. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. But it is like, you only get three point of view characters. It's Rand, yeah. Perrin, and Nynaeve. Yeah, you don't get anything from Matt other than just witnessing him from Rand's perspective right. and being tired of him being miserable because he made a dumb choice. <laughs> He's just a very dumb boy. <laughs> but yes, Matt, Matt doesn't get a whole lot to do in this book. It's really more, It's I mean, obviously it's mostly about Rand. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, a little bit about Perrin and a little bit about Nynaeve. Yeah. I really like the Nynaeve. I don't know. <laughs> I'm glad you like her. She gets... And she definitely... I think the first time I read this, I didn't like her as mm-hmm. much. And and that was the thing. We've talked about like the difference between listening to an audiobook oh, and yeah. reading a book. Mm-hmm. And I think this time I was more able to be like... To spend some time with her on the page. Right. And really like absorb Different her experience thought processes. Giving that time between... Yeah. Uh, actions and words on the page the fandom at large and her arc uh, as it goes through every character gets criticism because they go through a bunch of different stuff and and you know the way a story has to go is there there has to be constant conflict there has to be ups and you know highs and lows there has to be ups and downs and the 
reasons for all of the conflicts have to be because of very believable issues that all the characters have. Yeah. And there, Nanive gets a lot of criticism in, mm-hmm. in the greater fandom because of her particular issues and behaviors. And honestly, of, of the five that come out of the village, I love all their arcs because by the end, they're all so believable and you get to see how much they grow and mm-hmm. why they become what they do later because of where they started. Yeah. And Nanive's chip on her shoulder, her desire and fierce protective nature mm-hmm. is very important. Yeah. And I love her for that. Yeah. It was also nice to see later, like when she meets up with them in Barillon and in Camelin, that she's like not just angry all the time because they they start off characterizing her that way. And like even before she's introduced on the page, Rand is like, you can't say anything mean about the wisdom. She'll be right behind us and she'll hit us. Yep. <laughs> um, but you get to see her be nurturing also. She like comforts Rand when he's like, okay, but am I really Tam's son? And she's like, it's going to be okay, buddy. And like yeah. she has that really sweet moment with him. The One of the scenes in Barillon that I love uh, is when they actually get a night to relax mm-hmm. and they all dance. Yeah. Moraine dances. Yeah. Nanive dances. The Green dances. The boys dance. Yeah. And there, it's just a delightful little moment where you get to see all these characters that are, they're they're done with the first arc of their their mm-hmm. adventure. They're out of the two rivers. Yeah. The world is before them. Everything that is bad is in the future. But right now, they're not Aes Sedai. They're not the wisdom. They're not the boys the Dark One's chasing. Mm-hmm. They're just people dancing in the bar. Yeah. And it's a good time. Yeah. I love dancing. It's yeah. Great. Yeah, it is. <sighs> so they're journeying together and they're pursued by Trollocs and other evil creatures. And they take shelter for the night in Shadar Logoth, which we've mm-hmm. mentioned a couple of times, which is a super evil haunted city. <laughs> super haunted. <laughs> and the pictures of the set for the TV show for Shadar Logoth look so cool. So good. Yeah. Yeah. So ready so, to see that. So haunted, in fact, that the Trollocs would not go there were yeah. they not driven by the Myrdral. The Myrdral would not go there if they were not driven by something worse. Yes. They're terrified yes. of Shadar Logoth. And everyone else is terrified of them. So what's driving them? What's driving them? And what the heck is in Shadar Logoth? So they're in Shadar Logoth and the boys, Matt, Perrin, and Rand, go and explore. They're like, oh, dope on yeah. city. The trucks aren't coming in. Why not? <laughs> and, they, and they heard Moraine say that it used to be an ally of Manatharin. Yeah. And they're like, that's all they heard. They just white noise the rest of what she said about <laughs> it. <laughs> and so they go. And like 10 minutes oh. out, they find an evil ghost and an evil treasure lord. Well, they don't know he's a ghost. He seems real to them. He's just an, another guy sheltering in this I don't know if haunted. even when I was 18, if I would just trust some stranger in a really dark, terrible ruin of a city. Yeah. That Moraine has thoroughly explained 
the Trollocs are terrified to come in here if I would trust the first stranger I met in this space. Yeah, and he's immediately like, you want to see some treasure, kids? <laughs> and Matt. Oh. oh, boy, do I. Yes, Matt is like on it immediately. <laughs> I want to see some treasure. Let's go. And so they're on this treasure hoard, and this guy's like, just help me load it up and get it out of the city. And then they find out he's an evil ghost, and he tries to kill them, and they run away. And Matt takes a ruby-hilted dagger from the treasure hoard. A ruby-hilted dagger. Hmm. That won't come back just, to haunt He just needs a little, it's like a little travel souvenir. It's Listen, he didn't, it doesn't count as a gift from the hoard, because yeah, he took it. he took it. It wasn't given it to was him. It was stolen fair and square. Listen... <laughs> Ghosts, that that kind of like arguing might work on like fey fairy roles, mm-hmm. but ghosts don't give a shit. <laughs> ghosts are gonna haunt you no matter what. <laughs> nope, definitely, definitely not an entire city haunted and yeah, corrupted by ancient evil. Yeah, this is fine. This is totally fine. Um, but that's another one of those things that's like okay, it causes a little problem later, but it's not resolved at the end of this book. Matt mm-hmm. is like. He's got the dagger and it starts to really mess him up. But that's for later. That's one of those things that's like, obviously, that's going to be a big deal later. Yeah. So even though Trollocs and Fades never enter the city, they do to chase them down. And the group has to flee in a hurry. And when they do, they fall victim to one of the classic blunders. The most famous of which is never get involved in a land war in Asia. But only slightly less well known is this. Never, Never split, split the party. party. <laughs> mm. So they split up. It's what every good DM and writer needs to do. Like you can't just let them all safely skitter about together. Yeah, in a little cluster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're too powerful. Like that. <laughs> gotta separate them. Yeah, break them off. And this does give us a chance to see more of the world, and mm-hmm. we get the different perspectives. So we get to see like Perrin, who is who is a very thoughtful like careful person um and you get to see him like trying to figure out what to do next but on their way as they're separated rand and matt are chased by dark friends worshippers of the dark one um and it becomes apparent to the reader if not to the characters that rand can channel magic Mm -hmm. because there are several moments where they escape from dark friends only because rand wishes really hard for something to happen and it does Mm -hmm. That's fine. <laughs> you get a little bit of explanation about how a channeler discovers their ability. Yes. As Moraine is explaining to Egwene. Well, um, and Nynaeve, because she's split Nynaeve. up with Nynaeve right yeah. now. And and she's Moraine, as she's traveling with Lan and Nynaeve, she's explaining to Nynaeve, like, if you don't learn how to channel properly, you'll burn up and you'll die. Yeah. And I was so glad that they did that because it's like, Here's Moraine explaining what channeling does to you. And then like a couple chapters later, you see that happen to Rand. Rand. Mm -hmm. But did you reflect on when that started for Rand? Um, So Moraine brings it up at at the end of the book. Yeah. Um, uh, The first time time I noticed it was when he was on the boat, Mm -hmm. like jumping on the boat and like, the mast swings around and like knocks a trollic yeah. out of the way because Rand is wishing really hard for it. Yep. And I think at that point I was looking for it. 
but I mean, more rain mentions that it happens very early. Yeah. Like when they're running away from the two rivers. Mm -hmm. So he's, she has, they stop at some point to uh, quickly rest and Moraine uses the one power to reinforce stamina for all the horses Mm -hmm. so they can just keep riding. And she comes to Bella, who is an important character, by the way. Yes, Bella is a horse. Bella is a horse she who is absolutely and Tam's farm horse. Important character throughout the and entire arc. Egwene takes Bella, rides Bella out of two rivers. And because Rand wants to protect Egwene so much, yeah. he had actually used the one power already at that point. Yeah. To give Bella stamina. Yeah. I recalled after rereading the book later, uh, years and years ago. I had definitely missed that the first time. It's yeah. fairly subtle. She comments on it towards the towards the end of the series or end of the book mm-hmm. um, that that she had Moraine had noticed that Bella had already been enhanced, and then of course you've got the lightning. Yeah, that Rand calls down obvious. when trying to escape um, Whitebridge. I think that's in Four Kings. Is it Four Kings? Because Whitebridge, they are still with Tom. Oh, yes, that's, that's where Tom, from him, yeah, man, yeah, it all blurs is. together. I took a lot of notes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> ah, Tom. Mm. What about Tom? What do you think about Tom? Um, You know, he's in there for like 200 pages, and then he's dead. That's he's, like a normal book for you. He's definitely dead. You don't know, you don't know anything about Tom? He's going to come back. I mean, he's a storyteller. He's a gleeman. Yeah. He's an entertainer. And he goes with them out of two rivers. And he's the he's like our vehicle initially for explaining legends and histories and stories. Yeah. And um I don't know, he's interesting and like you find out later in Camelin that he's like tied up with the royal family somehow and that like his nephew was taken by the Red Aja, right? Yep. But like we just get hints of Tom and like in Whitebridge. He sacrifices himself, in quotes, to save Matt and Rand and give them a chance to flee as, yeah. like, a fate attacks them. Just this normal traveling gleeman. Oh, right, just this dude. Just just decides, just, you know, yeah, I can take on a mirror draw. I can take on a mirror draw. I was like, okay, buddy, I'm pretty sure you survived, but, like, that's a move. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I loved it. You know I love bards. Yeah. Like, yeah uh, and smart. Tom... Has such a wonderful arc later, and you definitely get to spend more time with him. It, it's not the biggest spoiler that he that setup mm-hmm. uh, was not his true death. Yeah, um, yeah. And, well, I mean, even when they get to Camelin, Rand and Matt go to the place that he told them to go yeah. to, and the, and the innkeeper is like, "I bet he's not. I dead, bet he's though. not dead. He's probably fine. He's, he's been dead before. <laughs> like fades, not problem. Nah, nah, clearly, <laughs> and like I." The, the reputation he has yes. with, you know, this this particular innkeeper, the Queen's Blessing. I think his name was Basil. Maybe it was something else. Um, but he, you know, clearly was a friend of Tom. They, mm-hmm. they knew each other fairly well. So I love that that's kind of something that will that is bound to the boys, that they get this connection that keeps yeah. them uh, tied back to Tom. Uh, and you get this insinuation that tom has this very bad reputation because the queen is mad at him mm-hmm. and the queen's guards would definitely absolutely arrest him on site because they would know him yeah 
Like, what did he do? Mr. Marilyn, sir, do you have some <laughs> questions? <sighs> yeah. I'm not, that's another one of those things that's like, that's for later. Yeah. Very much. Did you did you find, as you kept coming to these, that's for later, mm-hmm. that's for later. This is an epic, epic tale. This is a big, thick book. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have any short routes on almost anything. Right. Is that frustrating or is that enticing? Depends on the day and how I'm feeling. What kind um, of reading experience you wanted, particularly? Reading experience I want because, like, I know that it will come up again later and, like, it'll be all resolved and tied up in a little bow and the wheel will turn. I had an easier time reading it this time because I was able to talk to you and talk to some other people about the book and be able to be like, this is really frustrating me. And and for people to say, yes, we agree, that's frustrating. Here are the, like, here are some things to look forward to. Yeah. Um, and I found that really helpful. I think if I was just reading it by myself, I would put it down and say, that was it. Like, that's the end because... Like, just reading it by myself, it's not. A lot of stories are better in the sharing, I yeah. guess. And I, and I found that for a lot of things that, like, if I have someone to talk to about it, I like it more. Because, mm-hmm. like, I'm able to figure out what I'm feeling about it and talk to them about what they liked about it. Oh, and yeah. maybe get a new perspective. Um, and I think that's helpful, especially for big, epic things. I definitely agree. I think that's part of the reason why Game of Thrones became so popular in the, the cultural zeitgeist is because it had a lot of elements that drew in the audience, but then it had a lot of discussion points. Yeah. It had a lot of things that people wanted to be excited about or be angry about or mm-hmm. be uh, fervent. Yeah. Um, and the TV show, I think, is going to really work for Wheel of Time because those elements are in the books but of course the books are a lot thicker a lot meatier than the tv show is going to be it's going to be very number one just from from reading some of the scripts and um uh, tidbits that have been released about it the tv show is definitely going to be a lot more fast-paced yes the first season uh ostensibly will cover at least the first two books and bits of the third book that because they're going to have to rearrange certain elements and whereas we only get Rand and Perrin and Renee's perspectives, mm-hmm. the TV show, being a TV show, you're going to get to see multiple perspectives right. simultaneously. Yeah. One of the things that Jordan kind of started with the perspective writing at the time this book came out, that was unusual for fantasy fiction. Mm-hmm. You had one hero and that was whose perspective you got for the entire book, yeah. entire series. And Rafe Jing- uh, Judkins, who's the showrunner for the TV show for Wheel of Time, is already promising that they're going to try to keep that mm-hmm. for the TV show where they will do scenes from different perspectives so that you still kind of get, not necessarily like the inner monologue of a character, because right. that doesn't always work on screen, but you'll at least see some of the weaves and channeling mm-hmm. you will see from different perspectives. And so they will look different to different characters. Yeah. And I'm kind of excited to see that brought to life. Yeah. Um, and it'll just be interesting to see how that faster pace draws in new readers or new mm-hmm. new people to the story in the show, and then maybe yeah. they want to read it later. Yeah. 
Well, that's one of the things that like a TV show can do very well is it can just, I mean, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? Yeah. It can show you a shot of the wine spring in, yeah. you know, with the big fireplace and like the cat sitting on the mantle and there's the tobacco box or whatever mm-hmm. that Jordan spends oh, yeah. three paragraphs describing, <laughs> but can be shown in a one second shot. It's like, there it is. So there is that. Yeah. I'll just wait and see what that uh, looks like. So we talked about. Talked about Ran. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Bit of his arc. Split up. Perrin. Yeah. Perrin. Yeah. Encounters Elias and wolves. I love the wolf brother stuff so much. Yes. <laughs> and I'm so frustrated because Perrin doesn't love it. And I'm like, just accept that the wolves want to psychically communicate with you and be your pal. I just think you should accept that and live in the wilderness. <laughs> Look. These are the three naive backwoods kids that have only heard tales of adventure. And I think the three boys show a very good range of what it's like to encounter the real world. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's just, it's so, I love the Wolf Brothers stuff too, because it's something that's, um, and we'll see this later more, it's something old. That's coming back. Yeah. They're like, the wolves haven't spoken to people since before the breaking of the world, basically. Very, very rare. Very, very rare. And it's like, the wolves find you, you don't find them. And it's like, it's older than channeling. It's older than the Aes Sedai. It's as old as wolves and as old as humans. And I just love that. I think that was really cool. It's a great bit of of, again, just wonderful mythos building. And the fact that it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the one power is also fascinating. Yeah. Because sometimes different bits of fantasy fiction revolve too much around the one big magic element. Right. And this, much like the Green Man, Mm -hmm. uh, is another thing that's ancient and old. And it's it's not related to the one power specifically, even though the the true source is what turns the the wheel Mm -hmm. and is what keeps, you know, reality working. This bit of magic doesn't have anything directly to do with it. Yeah. Perrin has a long road ahead. (sighs) Be a wolf brother, Daniel. Yeah. Just think it's really cool, okay? <laughs> so one of the things that I told myself when when we when I came over to do the podcast and we were going to start talking about this is like by the end of this, I want to have enticed you to read the rest of the series. You're doing pretty good. I was going to ask you to like do something at the end, but I feel like you're you're folding it in very naturally I, as we're going. I am. So. I am doing. I feel very good about it so far because okay, I'm yeah. like I don't want to spoil things. I know yeah. you've seen a few things already that are spoiled. Um, on on looking up a few things online. Definitely very easy to do now that the series yes. has been done for 10 years. Um, and, like, I'm not going to get mad if I see a spoiler. Yeah. This series has been done since 2013. It's been out <laughs> since the 90s. Past your, your it's fine if I see spoilers for it. But the, the things that get revealed, and, and particularly the more epic arcs that these characters are going to go through, I think need to be experienced. Yeah. And Perrin has... There's three scenes in the entire arc, the entire 14 and a half books, and Perrin is one of the top three. His because the Wolf Brother stuff is the coolest stuff is in this amazing. whole book. Okay. You met Hopper. Yes. And Aww. then oh my 
god, that was so sad. I was like, "Yep, Mr. Jordan, you can't make me cry over this wolf in two paragraphs. Two. It's extremely rude. <laughs> Very quickly. Oh, oh just, just the way he did that where he's like, Perrin wonders why the wolf is named Hopper. And then he like psychically connects to the wolf and like understands the name. I love the, the, the importance of dreaming yeah. in the Wheel of Time. Teleron Riyadh is going to be explored thoroughly. Mm. And the wolves communicate through this same dreaming. Their their telepathy is yeah. through this connection. And when they when he describes the way that the wolves communicate with Perrin and Elias and the, the visions that they experience mm-hmm. that represent an idea. Yeah. is fascinating to me. There's this epic leap yeah. It's like this dream of having wings that this wolf is experiencing and wishing for. And I'm just like, dang, dang, that's, I feel that. Yeah. I feel that hopper fly, man, fly. Love it. You said dreams. I forgot that a key part of this whole book is that Matt and Perrin and Rand are having dreams about the Dark One. Ooh. And he's like chasing them around and he's like, Telling them that they belong to him and the eye of the world will never serve you. In the face of mouth and eyes of flame. Yeah. In the creepy That's fine. fireplace. That's fine. The and the boys are all like, let's not talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> we suppress, can't tell Moraine about suppress this. Suppress those. She'll think it's bad. And we're, she'll be, yeah. It's definitely uh, not something you want to talk about. with. No. no. And I mean... They don't trust her because she's a complete stranger who showed up and stole them. They've been together for a few weeks. Yeah. So they're separated, but not for long. Perrin and Egwene are captured by the children of the white. Suck. Well, before we get to their capture, they meet the Tuathan. They do. They do meet the Tuathan. What do you think about them? They reminded me of the people in The Curse of Strahd. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Vistani. <laughs> the Vistani. Yeah. 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 Um, Definitely from similar root inspirations. The yeah. Roma, the gypsies. Yeah. This, this, um, so the Tuatha'an are traveling people. And, and they're also called the Tinkers. And, and they travel and they tinker. And people don't really trust them because they come in and out of town. Um, and, you know, if somebody wants to leave with them, they'll accept them. Yep. And they also follow the way of the leaf. They are leaves on the wind. <laughs> leaves on the wind! <laughs> Which is like basically a, a code of nonviolence. Mm-hmm. Pacifism. Pacifism. That's the word. Yeah. And they are seeking the song. They are seeking the song that has been lost since the breaking of the world. And if they can find it. Are you familiar with if they can find it? Wow, did they find it, Daniel? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> You have to read and find out. No, don't. Google it. Rafo. What? Read and find out. Oh, Rafo. okay. That is I've that heard. is a thing whilst these were being published. Right. That Jordan would tell every fan <laughs> at every conversation, every read interview. Read and find out. That's so funny. I love it. Do, does the Tuatha'an sound familiar to you? Does that name... Yeah, so the Tuatha... <laughs> First of all, is that Willow? Second, oh, yes. is that the fair folk in Ireland? They're not the, the fair folk, but the they were a people, the Tuatha de Danann. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that's one of the elements. There's a lot of Celtic mythos mm-hmm. uh, throughout this, and they were uh, a people of of Irish mythology, um, or even historical, uh, depending on on different references. But uh, they play a a part, and the song is something that comes up. You meet Loyal, mm-hmm. uh, who mentions uh, different elements of singing that are mm-hmm. relevant to his culture. Um, and a, a beautiful moment he gets at the end with the green man. So music, you know, we've already had Tom, the Gleeman, and mm-hmm. the different songs and relevances of, in here. Music plays a, an importance uh, throughout a lot of these arcs as well. And I thought it was interesting how Jordan set this up, that they were, you know, their, their leader of the, the Tuatha'an is called Mahdi. And mm-hmm. It's an old tongue word for the seeker. Mm-hmm. They're seeking the song. And they may never find it. Yeah. And yeah. Green kind of meets a, a boy. Yeah. You know, a little bit of exposure there, but they'll the tinkers come back around. Daniel, everything comes back around. It's I'm glad the wheel of it. time, I'm okay? Glad the wheel leaves is the wheel wills or whatever. Literally every <laughs> element is so well put. Yeah. It's a seed. But then But then, okay. Perrin and Egwene captured by the children of the light. As I've said, I hate. But they are soon, quote unquote soon, rescued by Lan and Nynaeve and Moraine. Mm-hmm. Um, and wolves. And wolves. And they get Bella. Don't worry, we've still got Bella. Still got Bella. <laughs> and they reunite with Matt and Rand in Camelin, which is the capital city. Mm-hmm. And they finally, this is the point where they connect all the dots. The boys tell Moraine about their dreams, finally. And Perrin passes along a story he heard about the Eye of the World when they were with the Tinkers. Yeah. That one of the the Aiel. Aiel? Aiel. Aiel. One of the Aiel um, that the Tinkers encountered said that the Dark One was seeking the Eye of the World. And the Dark One has said stuff about the Eye of the World in their dreams. And they're like, we don't know what that is. Is this Mm -hmm. significant? And Moraine's rubbing her temples going, couldn't you have told me this? Weeks ago? <laughs> yep. And Loyal also had a story. Mm-hmm. Yes, Loyal had wandered also into had a, a setting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, like, all comes together at this point, and Moraine's like, well, we can't, I don't have time to take you to Tarvalon. What we need to go to do is go to the Eye of the World and protect it from the Dark One. And the way to get to the Eye of the World quickly is through the ways. Yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's like fast traveling. It's great. It is fast traveling. It's a secret, dangerous path. One that was built by the male Aes Sedais during the breaking of the world. (laughs) So that's fine. Um, It was an attempt. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and like I said earlier, this is something we see over and over again. Old things got lost are coming to life or becoming relevant again. Mm -hmm. Like... The ways, the Wolf Brother stuff, the old blood of Manitharan. And that's, I mean, that's kind of the whole thesis is this idea that everything comes around again. Yeah. Reincarnation is a big part of it. But also the recurrence of legends. And we're seeing things, the return of things from the breaking of the world and before that from the Age of Legends. And I think that's one of the cool things about the series is like... Everything comes back around, and nothing's really lost, I guess. Yeah. 
So the ways are super haunted. <laughs> Just like Shadar Logoth. Just like Shadar Logoth. There is an evil spirit wind thing in there. Yeah. But it's a fast travel point, basically. And they have Loyal to lead them through. And Loyal is an Ogier who are big animal people. I don't know what they are. Kind of giants. Like, so Ogier, kind of like Ogre. Yeah. Um, they're, they're large fey folk. They're, okay. they're another reference to, like, Fearbog. Yes. Uh, I, from, that, from I was going to, like, make a Fearbog reference because that's, yeah. like, the closest thing I could... So I try not to relate everything to D and D, but well, a lot of things this really is, do. <laughs> this is this is what the Wheel of Time and the D and D have in common is that they're all pulling from the same sources. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you kind of started off with the Green Man early on, and the the Ogier are another element of the importance of nature. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. they're gardeners. They're ancient and kind of slow they're like the tree folk in um the ints in yes. lord of the rings yeah they're protectors but they don't want to get caught up in all the chaos yeah they like to be in their safe spaces in the steading yeah and the interesting thing about steadings is that you can't touch or sense the true source yeah. when you're in a steading well, occasionally a, a safe refuge for male channelers yeah and that's why there are ways near steadings because the ogres sheltered a bunch of the male channelers during the breaking of the world. Yep. So ostensibly there's a huge network of the ways that connects almost anywhere in, yeah. in what is commonly referred to as Randland. If you haven't come across that yet. <laughs> no, I haven't. So unlike Middle Earth <laughs> right, or, right. or other fantasy fiction, Jordan never called the continent anything. Yeah. yeah. And so fandom just started calling it Randland. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> That's awful. I hate it. Okay. <laughs> so they take this secret dangerous path to the border. And the border is like the the line of defense between the Blight and the human lands and Ranland. Yeah. Excuse me. The Blight and Ranland. <laughs> um, and the Blight is like another sign of the influence of the Dark One. It's like corrupting the land in that area and it's spreading more and more every year. Yeah. And there's stuff happening on the border, like all the border towns are gathering their armies and they're going to face an army of Trollocs that are gathering in Tarwin's Gap. Yep. So Moraine and Lan lead their little party into the Blight. And the Blight is like, you know, when a log rots and it gets weirdly squishy, but it still looks normal. That's what the Blight is like. It's Mm -hmm. squishy and gross. Yep. Everything has got weird growths on it that are kind of colorful. Yeah. But don't poke it. Yeah, don't poke it. Especially the further you get into the blight. Because mm-hmm. then it pokes back. <laughs> and they do, they get attacked. They have to fight their way through the blight. But they reach the green man's grove. Yeah. And that's where the eye of the world is. And we don't know what the green man does. I, he guards nature i guess and you know the rest of the world i mentioned this earlier that spring is delayed the rest of the world is suspended between winter and spring but the green man's grove is blooming and he's been guarding the eye of the world even though that's super not his job 
But we get there and we find out that the eye of the world is a pool of power created around the time of the breaking of the world. And it is, as far as we know, the only untainted source of Sidene in the world. Yep. Um, and is it just Sidene? Or is it both? It's just Sidene. Okay, that's what it I is thought. A, it is a pure source of the male half mm -hmm. of, of the true source, so that... Because it was specifically the male half that locked the Dark One away. Yeah. So they need that in order to plug the hole again, basically. Kind of. At this point, Jordan doesn't explain too much about what the Eye of the World was for. Yeah. Only that it is known through some of the prophecies that it would be needed mm -hmm. for the dragon. Right. I don't think we've really discussed that too, too much. Is we've talked about some of the false dragons and, and that, but the, the dragon is the messiah figure, the savior. Well, that's um, that's what people called Luz Theron. Yes. At the very beginning, Luz Theron was known as the dragon in the morning lord also. Lord of morning. Mm -hmm. That's the one. <laughs> and so when you would get male channelers who would come through and would declare themselves the dragon. And they would be false dragons, so I guess false messiahs. Yeah. And we don't know exactly what all the prophecies say yet. Right. We know there are a bunch of prophecies about when the dragon comes, like what he'll do. They're re they're, they're doled like, out just as slowly as the rest of the story. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so, like, uh, I feel like Moraine and Rand talk about them a little bit, or maybe it's with Tom, mm -hmm. um, about how... Some of the prophecies sound impossible based on, like, the world as it is. It's like you have to go to a certain place and do a certain thing. And it's like, okay, but you would never be able to do that. Right. And it's like, well, then I guess it'll never happen. It's like, no, it's just going to be, like, a really momentous occasion. You have to make prophecies, like, impossible so that you know when the real yeah. guy comes around. If there are no miracles, yeah, how do we know that you're truly the Messiah? Yeah. Yep. So because the Eye of the World is uh, only Sidene, it can only be used by a male channeler. Mm -hmm. um, Good thing they brought one. Right. But most male channelers are dead. <laughs> yeah. Or cut off from the true source, or they're servants of the Dark One. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is fine. This is totally fine. Um, so they, they go in and they check it out, and then they walk out. And Maureen's like, we got a little time. We can figure out what's going to happen. And they walk out of the chamber where the eye of the world is. And there's two forsaken in the grove of the green man. And the forsaken are legendary servants of the dark one. So these are some male channelers showing up to take the eye of the world. And they nearly, this is our big confrontation at the end, is the forsaken nearly kill them. Yeah. Um, Nynaeve tries to stab one with a knife. <laughs> Doing great, babe. Bold. Yep. Moraine holds them off for a little while. Um, the green man kills one, but the other one is only stopped by Rand claiming the power of the eye and using it to not only destroy the Forsaken, but also to mess up the Trolloc army that like the Bordermen are facing. Yeah. And also he goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Dark One and locks him back in prison and like 
cuts off the tie that he currently has to the world. Which is a lot to do. A lot. That's a lot. A lot. Again, 400 pages of traveling. Yes. <laughs> Three days in the blight and conclusion of the whole thing. It's like less than 100. It's like 50 pages maybe of the conclusion. Yep. So yep. good job, Rand. Yeah, he did it. He did, he it. did it. He killed the Dark One. And, Everyone is safe now. And and when he did that, he you mentioned that he, he bought off the Trollocs as well. So he... He like teleports they're, around. They're in the the Grove of the Green Man with the Eye of the World. Yeah. And Moraine tells them, you know, she's fighting uh, Agnor mm-hmm. and tells them to run. Rand runs. Agnor eventually starts chasing him. Agnor has this thread of darkness yeah that is pulling but he's also willing to pull at the eye of the world yeah and so he has this thread of light that's coming at him mm-hmm. and Rand's like no that's mine and takes that and he takes it and yep. he draws it all mm-hmm. and he teleports mm-hmm. and appears before the host of the Sharans the Sh- Shinarans and they witness. Yeah. That's true. The people is, do see him. That do is that. one of the, the key things that it, as this mythos is, is building up. Yeah. Not only is, is he using the eye of the world as the first untainted source of Sidene. Yeah. But he is witnessed. Yeah. And that's a key thing that starts off mm-hmm. the great hunt. Uh, is some of that hmm. revelation, if you will. Yeah, he also hears a mysterious voice that tells him this is not the place where the final battle is fought and gives him like a stairway to Satan. So, don't know what that's about. (laughs) Not not a stairway to heaven, not a highway to hell. Correct. Just a stairway Stairway to to Satan. Correct. Uh, So it's the end. Rand has done these amazing things by channeling the power of the eye of the world and spring finally starts to come back into the world no longer kept at bay by the dark one's power and rand believes he has completely destroyed the dark one cue up the the ewok drums and celebration this is the time for celebration but i gotta say looking at the next 13 books in the series (laughs) i don't think he did it you don't think he did it i don't think he did it um (laughs) And and you touched on this a little bit earlier, but so much of this book has been about how important balance is. And is it really balance to destroy the dark completely? Mm-hmm. It's not. Because then it's all tilted one way. It's like Anakin Skywalker technically brought balance back to the Force, but he did it by killing a lot of people. Right. So... That brings me to one of the questions I was coming with is you you've read a bit of the great hunt I understand mm-hmm. um, but based on on this particular arc in in storytelling one of the the key things that sets up a satisfying arc with a satisfying conclusion is that you establish in the first act mm-hmm. what the entire story is about yeah. So with this book, The Eye of the World, as the first act of the rest of The Wheel of Time, hmm. what kind of, where where does the story go next? 
maybe not the end, or maybe right. if you want, you can share what you think is going to happen. <laughs> but what what happens to these these villagers and yeah. Well, so at the end of the book, you know, the things that are set up is Nynaeve and Egwene are planning to go to Tarvalon mm-hmm. to get trained. Yeah. Parents going with them because he doesn't have anything else to do. Wolf brother, dude. <laughs> Matt is still cursed with this ruby-hilted dagger. He yeah. still needs to get that fixed. Um, and Rand, at the moment, has, like... The setup at the end for him is the worst because he's doomed to die, basically. He's, like, doomed to failure because he either has to never channel magic again or he has to learn how to channel with no one to teach him because all the male channelers are dead or evil. Yeah. And if he fails, he'll just become another tool for the Dark One, so there's no pressure there. Right. He is is taunted and teased and... Invited several times by Balzamon. Yes. And um, he also got some some artifacts yes. out of the eye of the world. Yes. Uh, I thought it was interesting that uh, they talked about the great hunt gearing up to happen yeah. in Ilion. And then Moraine just finds the, the horn, <laughs> the horn of Valir, and she's just going to like FedEx it to them. <laughs> yep. I love that that Yo, was her I heard you reaction. She's like, for the horn. this needs to just be sent to Ilion. Yeah. Yeah. Not taken to Tarvalon? No, it has to be. It has to where, be. Because that's where the prophecy says it needs that's to be. Right. Yep. Okay? <laughs> it's like even the border the border lords are like, okay, but we could keep this. Yeah. And like, it would be super useful. And Maureen's like, put that down. It's going. <laughs> that's not for me. It's not for you. It's for... And you also got the banner. The banner. With a sinuous, scaled creature on it. We called it a dragon. A dragon? A dragon. Very eastern type dragon. Yeah. Long bodied, five clawed, hmm. red scaled, golden fur. Hmm. It's a very, I love the imagery that he brings to it. Yeah. For me, one of the things when I first picked this up, I had not been exposed to a lot of eastern mythology. Mm-hmm. And I'd well, seen maybe a few different kung fu movies sure. and things like. Big Trouble in Little China um, <laughs> that have some funky, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, magic, Chinese magic and stuff in there and Japanese histories and things like that. But like you don't. I was very familiar with Western dragons, mm-hmm. big yeah. body, great wings. Yeah. This dragon does not have wings. Hmm. I didn't notice that. Yeah. Cool. They also find one of the seals of the Dark One's prison. Yeah. Broken. Which is a Tao symbol. Is that what that's called? The symbol of the Tao. It's the yin yang. Yin yang. That's right. Uh, so, again, it's all about the ideas of balance. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I don't know where this. Like, I. I. I guess the overarching, like, obviously, Rand is going to become the dragon. Yeah. Like, but what the dragon is supposed to do, I don't know. There's a lot of prophecies about the guy, but I don't really know yeah. what they're going to be. And like, but everybody else's arc is kind of a mystery, kind of mm-hmm. up in the air. So I guess because Rand is like the main character for this book, it's easier to see all the hints and stuff about yeah. where he's headed. Very, very heavily, you know, first act type stuff again. Yeah. This is, is 
very much the the overarching story of the Wheel of Time is that the the dragon is here to save the world. Hmm. And so we get Rand's perspective and Rand's story and, and the elements of why the dragon is important mm-hmm. clued in here. We don't really talk a lot about why Perrin is becoming a wolf brother. Yeah. Why does that matter? Yeah. We yes. don't necessarily talk about Matt, mm-hmm. but somehow he's important to things going on. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the other thing that they talk about is that they are Taveran. Yeah. Which is like that just means that they're they can influence the weave that you know, the wheel weaves as the wheel wills. There you go. Stumbled a little bit there. Um, and so this idea that the wheel of time is weaving a pattern. And they talk about a pattern. And um, and people, if they are Taveran, they can influence the pattern. They can, like, draw other people's threads towards them and change the course of the world. And Moraine sees that the three boys are Taveran, yeah. at least. I don't know about Nynaeve and Egwene. They might yeah. just be magic ladies. They might also be Taveran, but, like, that's obviously going to be whatever they do for the rest of their lives is going to change the world. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I like to do is think about things metatextually, <laughs> right? There's so much meta. There's so much meta. There's so much meta. But this idea that, like, Moiraine knows that they're the main characters. Kind of, yeah. Right? And, like, she can look at them and go, you have main character syndrome. <laughs> like, in an anime, the person with blue hair, when everybody right. else has brown hair, yep. like, that's the main character. In this in the story, it's red hair. That. Right, red hair, exactly. <laughs> so, and you get, like, especially with a story that's about stories, you can do a lot of, like, really meta thinking about it. Oh, yeah. The layers that... The places that Jordan goes with these different stories and these different archetypes and the the idea of the Taveran in general, that these key characters influence everyone else's story, mm-hmm. ostensibly for the benefit Fingers crossed. <laughs> of, of the world. All things go according to plan. Mm-hmm. They reshape everything to help them succeed. Yeah and face the dark one whatever that means Mm -hmm. um the 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 dreams that they have and the encounters they have with balsamon are important because there's the the seduction Mm -hmm. the lure to the other side potentially to unbalance the wheel Mm -hmm. Um, balsamon wants rand loose theron the dragon to serve him yeah and if their Taveran powers are twisted and they start turning everyone to their whim but for the dark, mm-hmm. what happens to the world? How, right. how ugly does this get? Um, and you've got three of them. Yeah. At the very least. And it's, it's very chaotic. It mm-hmm. takes a lot of words to explore yeah. what happens to each character. And the... The parts of the story that I start to really appreciate are when Jordan writes even more perspectives that are laymen. They're mm-hmm. NPC characters that you encountered and are like, 
caught up in all of this chaos towards this end of the world scenario and are just struggling to go along and do what they can. Yeah. But I like that Jordan writes these characters because you get to see what all these mythologies look like from a non-powered, non-important mm-hmm. person's perspective. And they're yeah. just like, ah, why me? <laughs> Dragon's been reborn again, hun. Like like an Avatar. Get the sheep. The, like Avatar the last bender, if we the last airbender, if we got the story of the cabbage man right. in his perspective of everybody coming through, just like oh, these kids again. Um and balance, balance and, and the idea of there needing to be a dark mm-hmm. side. The, yeah. the story will get there and explain why that's important, and I love it. It's wonderful. Yeah. So I still haven't decided if I'm going to read the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. Because if I did, would I do a podcast episode about each book? It's a lot of work for that, so I haven't decided... Because, like, if I read them, they are such chunky books that I would want to summarize them Mm -hmm. for the podcast. But the other problem is that, like, there's so much information. I would feel like I'm Game of Thrones trying to summarize. I'm the show Game of Thrones trying to summarize the books. Mm -hmm. And it's like, got to cut out 90% of the characters and change all the plot lines. Yeah. Because, like, I don't even mention Pat and Thane, the peddler. Yeah, we haven't really talked about um, that. There's and Min, it... who sees the pattern of the weaving. Yes, oh my there's goodness, we forgot Elaine about and Min. There's Elaine and Gowan, and there's they're so, they're, Lan- and they're Lan's tragic so backstory, important. and it's all so important. <sighs> that was one of the things I definitely kept in mind is, is during the podcast, you know, we can't sit here and talk for hours and hours and hours about it, and, like, there are already so many other sources that are doing different types of analysis for these books. Yeah. There's dozens and dozens of reread mm-hmm. uh, uh, from editors, from other writers, from other fans. Yeah. I mean, you uh, sent me a podcast yeah. about two people. There's reading a like... few dozen podcasts that talk yeah. about different things. There, there are older podcasts that start out. Uh, Theory Land is a really good one that was mm-hmm. specifically for just postulating what the possibilities would be before each book came out. And so there's a lot of other ways to experience or explore these stories without necessarily having to overanalyze personally each experience. Um, If you wanted to read each book, I would be happy to discuss (laughs) them with you. Um, One of the, the, you could, you could read them as the the seasons come out. So, if you want to try to keep up with the season coming out, I would definitely encourage you to read The Great Hunt, at least. Interesting. I didn't know they were covering the first two books yeah. in the first season, so that's um, good Rafe Judkins has, has already kind of, the benefit of having the series finished, he was able to write out an eight-season arc hmm, nice. to finish this story. Uh, because TV productions are expensive. Yes. There's no guarantee that you're going to get renewed from season to season, which is a yeah. big scare yeah. Uh, particularly for something this big, this yeah. epic. Um, luckily, Amazon uh, approved I, I second mean, season like right off the bat. Amazon's been getting into that, yeah. like approving TV shows. I mean, they bought like the Critical Role animated yes. show. They got The Expanse from Sci-Fi, and yeah. they're finishing out The Expanse. Yep. They've like, got the other uh, Lord of the Rings that Right, they're trying out. to do that other Lord of the Rings series. Yep. It's gonna be... I have a feeling that they're 
like fingers crossed, they seem like they're dedicated to keeping it going. But, Um, but yeah, like, you know, your experience or how you, you choose to read these and how you want to read other stories is definitely absolutely up to you. The things that, the final thoughts, I guess, I would give for the way this this arc is going to go, the series is going to go, are that if you want to explore the mysteries of the mythologies these characters are going to grow into and mm-hmm. grow from, that's going to be the thing that I would encourage you to like think about to like carry you through each book. Mm. the The Wolf Brother aspect is literally going to carry Perrin through fourteen books. It is his aspect is a wolf brother. That is why he is important. And there are definitely other elements that shape his his arc as well. Um, Matt, the first time I read the series, up to like seven books that were available at the time, he's my absolute favorite character. Yeah. He has this, you you don't get much of him in this book. No, he's mostly like Gollum crouched over the dagger going, my precious. And, like, that's the thing that Jordan was playing with it. He specifically started out the first hundred pages or so of the story, the, the villagers coming out of the small mm-hmm. shire, at, yeah. to specifically emulate something that was familiar to audiences. Yeah. He wanted them to acknowledge the similarity with Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And Matt has this very tragic start. Mm-hmm. You get to see what Gollum, Smeagol, might have been like if the ring hadn't possessed him completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he goes on to do many, many other things. He's one of the most complex characters in the story. Yeah. Um, you you get to learn more about why Lon is the... Diademed Lord of the Malkyrie or whatever. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I love how like he just kind of throws more of oh. that in because they go to the Borderlands yeah. and you're just like, yeah. ah, I guess I'll give the audience a yeah. little more about Well, Lon. they mention him being like the Lord of the Seven Towers like three times. Yeah. And then when they're rescuing Perrin and Egwene from the Children of the Light and uh, Lan's about to go back because Nynaeve isn't with them. Yeah. And Moraine's like... Alan Mandragoran, Lord of the Seven Towers, diademed battle lord of the Malkyrie. Well, she's like listing a ton of stuff. She's like, remember your O's. It's like, it's like when your mom uses all three of your names. Exactly. <laughs> you in trouble now, buddy. Ooh. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Lots, lots to explore here. Yeah. For Satan. And like, the, the, you get the map at the mm-hmm. beginning. Yeah. I love fantasy maps yeah. because they're like a, an infographic that is a pleasure to explore. Mm-hmm. And you're going to bounce around all of these different places in Randland. And <laughs> get <over> that. <laughs> you get you get this experience of how thoroughly Jordan can describe mm-hmm. and make a certain people very unique. Yeah. And that's a lot of fun. Yeah. One um, of the things... My other Wheel of Time friend told me was that after a certain point, you can tell where someone is from by what they're wearing yes. or where they have been by yes. what they're wearing. Just like that's the level of attention yeah. and detail that he has built into this. A lot of fun. Well, I guess I just want to wrap up. Yeah. Unless there's like any final thoughts you really wanted to like get out there. There's always more thoughts. Always but more. I, I won't. Okay. The The only... I just want to encourage anybody that's curious about the series that happens to be listening to this to give it a shot. Yeah. Um, I can't 
And if you need someone to like write you a really long email about how great it is, like I can connect you to Daniel and he'll write you a really long oh, email about oh, how great it is. I will give is. you all the non-spoilery <laughs> encouragement I possibly can. Because hmm. um, I see a great deal of value in this story particularly. And for me, it was really the connection that this story gave me to thousands of other stories. Yeah. But two that I would recommend, um, since I know you do. Yeah, recommendations, I do recommendations. Give me your recommendations. What you got? Um, the first one that came to mind immediately, which we've a little bit talked about, would be uh, Neil Gaiman's The Sandman. Yes. Yeah, um, you actually gave me that series last <laughs> fall to read. I have been aware of that series for 20-something plus years and mm-hmm. just never got around to it for some silly reasons. And it was just as thoroughly enjoyable, like a satisfying seven-course meal. Yeah. By the time I'd gotten through the entire arc and the, the overture, mm-hmm. Neil Gaiman has the the same fascination with mythologies and storytelling that Jordan does. Yeah. And he has a very British perspective <laughs> yeah. about it all. And it's delightful. Yeah. Absolutely, I would encourage anybody to read that series. Um, but another one occurred to me that I hadn't necessarily wasn't at the forefront of my mind, and that would be Stephen King's The Dark Tower series. Interesting. And while King has a very distinctly different method of writing, and a lot darker and, of course, a lot of horror elements and everything, he does explore a lot of different myth-making and storytelling Mm -hmm. aspects that share elements across different genres and and cultures and the dark tower does a great job of tying all of these different worlds together Mm -hmm. because that is what the dark tower is the center of interesting and it's fascinating the characters are cool yeah and it's a fun adventure okay i'm going to once again suggest that everybody should read the books of pelinor by allison krogan because those are it's only four books but it's this epic quest to find a savior, and it's it's magic, and it's the the author does this great framing story where she says she found these books and she's translating them from this old language, Ooh, yeah. and she makes up like references, and she like has a, <laughs> a table of contents that's like here's all the things I referred to, and it's very well done, and part of it is about finding a song to help heal the world. Ooh, um, how connected. I know. I like it. Um, which I, like, didn't think about until we talked about the Tuatha on, but, like, that's that's a huge part of the books of Pelinor. Once you read The Wheel of Time, it's all connected. It's all connected. Um, and the other thing is I think everybody should read the Queen's Thief series, because if you want to talk about foreshadowing and an author who is not going to tell you anything. Like, she won't tell you, but it'll be folded into the book, and the more you read it, the more you find and the more you discover and the more you unlock about the world that she built. It's very good. Oh, that's by Megan Whalen Turner. Yeah. Well, we've reached the end. So I'm not entirely sure what book I'm talking about next. I think I'm going to talk about The Protector of the Small series by Tamora Pierce, but don't hold me to that. It might be The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. We'll see. 
You can find the pod on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast. If you have any comments or questions or you really need Daniel to send you a very long email about <laughs> The Wheel of Time, you can email me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. The music is by Joseph McDade, and you can hear more of his work at josephmcdade.com. Well, Daniel, thank you for spending this time with me. This has been a lot of fun. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. way fun i almost felt like i kept myself on track we did pretty good we did pretty good (laughs) i can't believe at the end we were like we didn't talk about pat fane or elaine or kaufman i was like oh yeah yeah well i wrote down specifically like a bunch of the stuff that i cut out so that i could like shoehorn it in there at the end oh yeah but we got to talk about loyal and the two yeah and And even like elaine's backstory stuff